Hello, and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this week we're talking about Season 7, Episode 7, Will and Grace and Vince and Nadine. Let's just change the show to that. Let's just, like... No, let's not. Let's make it a logical... I mean, it'd be a logical exchange of, like, the Will and Grace sequel show, where it'd be Will and Grace and blank and blank. You know, this is actually a really huge get for the show, getting Kristen Davis on it. Yeah, see, this means nothing to me. But I just mean, this is, like, peak Sex in the City time. Like, Sure. She's very famous. Maybe she knew somebody. Or somebody knew her. Anyways. Not important. That's the other there. Point is... Welcome, Kristen Davis, whatever your name is. Kristen Davis. She's playing Nadine, who is Vince's Grace. Thanks for indirectly joining us on this podcast by being in the episode and us talking about you. Yep, that's how this works. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's Not in our apartment, for real. That'd be kind of cool, I guess. Very weird. Do you want to do the episode description? Maybe. I really like the part, though, where you get really angry at me and then are closing your eyes and silently breathing because I think our listeners really enjoy it. I think that that's probably the best part of this audio experience (laughs) is when we make no noise. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's the episode description. So, Will and Grace decide to invite Vince and Nadine, Kristen Davis, over, but they quickly learn that despite some similarities and friendships, they are polar opposites. Wow, that's actually a really good description. Yeah, it's pretty good. So what is kind of alluded to but not explicit in that description is that Nadine is Vince's grace. Yes, uh, basically, the she's his hag. Yes. I don't think that she's ever been referenced in the show yet. Nope. But it's nice to, like, have this dynamic. I think it's really fun to, like... Because Will and Vince are very different in many ways, but they're very similar in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of makes sense that both of them would have, like, a best friend character. Sure. Um... And Vince has always seemed like a character who has his own TV show that we never get to see going on. Like, every time they introduce a character from his life, it's like, wow, that's a fully realized character in, like, an alternate universe Mm -hmm. TV show. This week, in the alternate universe of Vince's television show, I'm pretty convinced that he's fired his therapist. Because normally he's a lot more, like, self-aware about his own baggage. But this week, it's like every single thing he's flying off the handle and saying something about his father. And, like... (laughs) I don't know what happened to Deborah. A lot of daddy issues. But clearly he fired her. Like Poor Deborah. R.I.P. Deborah, Vince's therapist. But yeah, so um Grace is really excited to meet this other I don't like the word hag, and here's why. Let me get on my soapbox for okay. a moment. So I don't like the word hag for a couple of reasons. First reason is I don't like that it is a rhyming slang of a word that I don't think should be used by women or basically anybody who isn't a gay man. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very much so an intra-community word that sure. should not be used by people outside of that community. So that's my first thing. Number two, it gets me really fucking annoyed when people say that I'm your hag because like no. There's just You have your own queer destiny. I have my own queer destiny, but oftentimes because I present as sort of like this feminine person, I get sort of slotted into this like girl best friend box. And there's nothing wrong with being a girl who's the best friend of a gay man, but that ain't me. And it really upsets me when people are just like, first of all, devaluing women in such a way that they're like only known as an accessory, which I mean, there's an entire other additional cultural commentary to be found there about the ways in which we accessorize gay men and make them completely desexualized. But point being, I don't like the term hag, but for the purposes of this, it is probably the best shorthand to say best 
feminine identified friend of a gay man. Sure. Yeah, I was while you were talking, I was trying to like workshop some alternatives, but like I can't think of anything good that runs with fruit or homo or fairy. Maybe fairy and dairy. No, it doesn't really work. But I, I mean, guess there's boobs. They have boobs. Maybe I That's don't know. That's very cisentric, though. Uh, yeah, See? right. I've, just, there's nothing good. There's nothing good. So, anyways, essentially, we have another best friend of a gay man who is a woman, mm-hmm. and um, so Grace is really excited to meet her. And Will is sort of just like, "Do not fuck this up for right, us," right? Because Will is also excited because it's like, I mean, the thing that's nice is that because the show has finally reached a place where like. Will and Grace's dynamic is respected and valued. Mm-hmm. It can now have other Will and Grace style dynamics that are also respected and valued. And I mean, it is kind of a big step in a gay relationship, in my experience, to have the best friends meet each other. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes those are very close-knit friendships. And at least anecdotally and based on the experience that I've seen in television, a lot of times those close friendships are people that uh, gay men dated prior to their coming out. Sure. Now, admittedly, it's not as big of a step for us because you have insisted that it happened no later than the third date. Yes. Which sort of debigifies that step. Yes, and that's <laughs> intentional. I think that when we've left it to become a big thing, then you're invested and in love, and I'm like, oh no, this ain't gonna work. I just mean. I just mean. It's don't you don't you wanna know sooner? Versus later. I mean, objectively, no. In every case, I've not wanted to know sooner rather than okay, later. Okay, but then when you find out later, you're even more mad at me if I don't like them. Well, I guess. But also, like, I've been having sex the whole time before then. So there's a benefit there. I mean, I guess. But, like, was it even that good? Not usually. See? I'm just trying to save you the trouble. Human existence is hard, Tess. I know, babe. I know. <laughs> but, so, okay. So, we're having the best friends meet each other. It's like a whole big shebang. Sure. It's always important. Yeah. And so, we see this kind of very uncomfortable dinner party because Nadine and Vince have a very different dynamic than Will and Grace. Yes. Like, I don't even know how to, like, exactly sum it up, but, like, they draw a really sharp tension between, like, Nadine and Vince are always, like saying cute but nice things to each other and like let's go off to the other room so I can tell you some more nice things about you Uh and like Grace and Will kind of keep it very real and like Mm -hmm. have that old married couple feeling yeah they've definitely reached the sort of old married couple of their relationship where like there's there's really no impressing each other Mm -hmm. anymore and so a little bit the gloves have come off sure I mean basically the dinner follows the pattern of like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf where like the one couple is already fighting and the other couple is, like, very cute and in their honeymoon phase. But eventually, the couple who's fighting drags them all down to their level. <laughs> They're like, you must all suffer with us. And that is a little bit what Except happens. Except, unlike in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the homosexuality is not a subtextual undercurrent. No, it is actually It is the, 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 the main current, the text. It is what you might call text. The super text. <laughs> it's above the regular text. No, that's just confusing. <laughs> it's just the text. No, nope, it's super text now. Oh, my God. But so I, I feel like this has been kind of, this has been a moment that you and I have been both the super cutesy, I love you so much, schmoopsies sort of sure. couple, but we've also been the like bickering, oh, griping sure. at Yeah, we've been everyone couple. around the table this week. It was we very, the episode felt very much like a personal attack. A little bit. No matter who it was attacking. A little bit, yeah. Because like, Vincent and Nadine kind of get called out by Grace like, okay, like. No one's this perfect. No one is like this with their friends. Like, you know. What the fuck's going on? Right. And it's it's interesting because I 
feel like the episode develops in a way that I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. But then in retrospect, makes sense. Because, like, Grace has her finger on something very real, which is that, like, they don't have the same relationship as them. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And, like, for me as a viewer, I was thinking of it just as a, I don't know, Will and Grace's relationship is especially special. Like, they have a real friendship versus, like, a surface-level dynamic. Mm -hmm. But Tess on the other hand, is much smarter than I am and went right to the heart of the dilemma, which is that Nadine is secretly in love with Vince. I don't think that it's that I'm smarter than you. And I mean, normally, I will take every opportunity in which I will tell you that I'm smarter than you. And listeners, you know this for Mm -hmm. a fact. But I don't think in this case that's what it is. I think it's more of a perspective of having kind of been there. Sure. So while I am not a girl, nor am I a robot, um, I have been... In the past, someone who thought I was a girl and have been in moments where I was still kind of harboring sort of like sad post-relationship squishies for you mm-hmm. and like not really being able to cope with like the fact that you're actually gay and it's actually going to stay that way. Yes. There were moments for me where that was the case. But, you know, you grow up, you live and learn. But it's also very clear to me when you see that happening to someone else because you just kind of want to take that person under your wing and go... Sweetheart, honey, bumpkin, no. <laughs> it He's not going to ever wake up with, like, a raging hankering for your pussy. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Just let it let it go. Let it go. Mm. And so, like, that to me was very clear from the way that she was just so, like, unbelievably supportive. And I think that that sort of gets to the heart of the tension there. When you're in an established relationship, you can get kind of comfortable with each other. Sure. And it doesn't have to be a constant performance of, like, love and support because you know that that already exists. Right. Whereas Nadine doesn't have that comfort because she's still trying to get to that sort of intimacy and relationship that is completely unattainable. Right. So she can't relax because if she relaxes for even a moment, Vince will realize that... And I guess in retrospect, I'm not sure that Vince says anything like extremely like gross and mushy and weird to her without no. being prompted. No. So the episode is actually in that way. I mean, in many ways, the episode is well written, but in especially that way where it it lays the seeds for that by having Nadine always be the instigator of this like positive pickup dynamic, and yeah. then Vince is just like. Oh, you're so sweet and completely unaware that she is desperately madly in love with him. Yeah. And I think that this kind of reminded me a little bit of experiences that we've had because there have been a couple of times where you've had a boyfriend mm-hmm. and then like it's like Tess meets the, the hag, basically. Right. And every time this the person you're dating is always like, this is my best friend and we are so close. We're just like Will and Grace. You're going to get it. And then I sit there and I'm like, I don't see it. Because they... Admittedly, you're not wrong. And it's... Everyone I've dated has had, like, a, quote, grace that I'm like, I don't... I don't get it. And I think that's the thing. For folks like us who actually have this sort of, like, vaguely codependent, mm-hmm. but very much so emotionally invested relationship with each other, we see right through that shit because it it's not... It's, you're just friends. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with just being friends with someone. Mm-hmm. Don't elevate it. Don't elevate it to some level that it's not. Sure. But we know the level that it actually, like, that that Will and Grace, in the quotes, exists on, like, that. Versus Vince and Nadine, which is, like... Right, exactly. At least in the version of the show that we can see right now, is, like, nowhere near that, like... Right. It doesn't have that sort of immediacy and intimacy and, like, long-standing history. Mm -hmm. It's just someone who is friends with someone. And they might be close friends, but it's not the same thing. Sure. And, I mean, then, of course, there's the whole undercurrent of Nadine's un- 
requited feelings. But that all being said. Well, and I think also, like, in some instances, I dated people who have a grace. And, like, I can see where at one point in your life, you had, like, the real will and grace dynamic. Mm -hmm. But then your relationship dynamic has changed. And you've been unwilling to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think for one thing, I not to like name any names, but there was someone you were dating for a while where it was clear that maybe they'd had that relationship like in college. Sure. But that that person had since moved on and married and mm-hmm. had children. And had a, a totally different like friend group in addition to this one friendship. Yeah. And then like similarly, I've seen, I remember seeing that with this other person you dated mm-hmm. where they had a very close friend, but that very close friend, I believe, had like moved away. Yeah. Yes. And so, and that like, was that was sort of the tension there where, like, it may be that when together they had that relationship, but we never saw it. Mm-hmm. So it sort of just became, like, this, like, but is it, though? Like, I don't feel like you've ever dated someone who has that exact dynamic because you won't date bisexual men. It's not that I won't date bisexual men. I'm, it's that they're all the worst whenever you encounter them. Yes, it's that I... <laughs> For the longest time, I thought a bisexual man was my perfect partner because I'm really attracted to gay guys Mm -hmm. and also bisexuality. So I thought, perfect, we'll put them together and I'll get a bisexual guy and it'll be great. Except every bisexual guy I've dated has been just like a clusterfuck of mental health problems. Mm Mm-hmm. And like toxic masculinity strikes again. Basically, it's sort of like I am a bisexual clusterfuck of of mental health problems. I can't deal with yours. Like, I feel like you would have needed one that like came out as gay and then was like, wait, do I like women? But I'm not sure that guy exists. Yeah, I, I don't, think that's more common. I know for women. I've known of one person who's ever like one masculine identified person who's come out as gay and realized later in life that he was bi. Right. And I know them very tangentially through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, we went to queer camp together, like, back in undergrad. Sure. And he was a freshman when I was a senior. And, like, I bought him liquor once. <laughs> and he has since, like, gone and gotten a job. And, like, he, he was... Good for him getting a job. Quote, gay when I knew him. But then a few years later, he's like, I have this girlfriend. And I didn't know how to tell everybody that I'm mm-hmm. actually bi. And it's a whole thing. Right. And, like, he got a lot of backlash for that. Mm-hmm. Because, um, in general, America views bisexuality to be kind of a joke in, like, overall. But especially when it's masculine-identified folks. Well, like, and also, like, the, I- the idea that, like, sexuality is a fixed point is most of the time helpful for discussing sexuality with straight people. Yes. But sometimes it's actually hurtful because like any identity, it can change and adjust over time. Right. You know, and if you're a Kinsey 1 or a Kinsey 5, you're attracted to mostly men or women, whatever gender you identify as. But like, there are some people who are the same or opposite gender of you who you are going to still click with. Yep. And if you haven't met those people yet you would be obvious to think that you are a Kinsey zero or a Kinsey six mm-hmm. yeah and I think that the fact is um that I've never been on the flip side where I've met where I've dated someone who thought that they had like a will and grace situation mm-hmm. happening in part because I due to like my presentation and the attraction that I experienced the likelihood of me ever being with a a quote like gay guy is Mm -hmm. very minimal and i think that that is sort of like the common denominator in those relationships sure is that the grace person can be a little bit more wibbly wobbly like for me they could be like a trans masculine like non-binary bisexual disaster sure but like there's 
the will sort of has to be a cis gay man. Yes, the, the will has to, to be a cis gay man. Sure. And so, because I can't date a cis gay man without it being a thing, not that I'd want to because I love my girlfriend and she's beautiful, and in case she's listening, hi, Rose. <laughs> but wow. I just really want to reiterate that I have a girlfriend. I need, like, a soundboard now. And I love her. Like, I'm partially but wrecked. because it would be, like, a thing for me to date sure. a cis gay man because I'm not a guy. There are so many air quotes happening, Missouri. You don't even know. <laughs> There are so many air quotes. This is going to be the season that's going to be like our Missouri season. This is the Missouri season. But yeah, so that ultimately I can never replicate what that experience might look like except for from my own perspective. Yeah. The end. A story by Tess. All right. Let's talk about boob typing. Oh my God. I was just, I kind of died when this happened. I kind of died. It's great. You could be a great boob typist. I could not. You could type five words a minute. I would type... Let me just put, Missouri, for those of you who don't know, I am a busty person. I got. You're a busty lad. I'm a busty lad. I'm a busty boy with an eye. Um, these, You're also a lad with an eye. The eye is silent. These puppies are big. I wear a G cup in bra type ways. So on your average. I really need that soundboard. <laughs> On your average keyboard, my titty, my titty covers almost all of it. Yeah, you really only need to type one book. I you could type on two keyboards type. at once. I could, like, play, you know, keyboard cat? You guys remember that old meme, like, keyboard cat? Like, I could do keyboard cat with one nipple. I wish we had a piano so that we could try that now. <laughs> So, uh, as we have suggested with our long, long diatribe on boob typing, um, we're talking about the Karen and Jack plotline this week. Yes. Obviously, Jack's boobies are in question. Yes, Jack is the one who's typing with his boobs. <laughs> um, so, if you remember from last week, uh, we have a rare continuation of plot uh-huh. from the previous episode. Um, Karen and Grace are in a fight yep. because Grace took credit for Karen's work mm-hmm. designing a home. And Which Karen was like, actually did. Yeah, Karen was like, I actually did that. I mean, I was super high on painkillers the whole time, but I did it. That's still technically being present and conscious. Um, so Karen quit and has now in this episode begun working for Jack as his secretary at Out TV. Yes. Which is still a thing that Jack does. Yep. So Jack is still an executive at Out TV. And now Karen is his assistant or secretary. It's very unclear. Yeah. Um, but we learned something which is very important that all friends must learn at some point, mm-hmm. which is that sometimes you can be best friends, but you cannot be coworkers. No, God, no. Because you'll have way too much fun at the office and get nothing done. Yeah. Like, this whole episode, Jack basically just, like, tries very hard to do his job, and then Karen's like, but also, look at me. <laughs> and they're just, they're off to the races. Like, it's it's the worst. It's really like, funny. Like, the boob typing comes out because, like, Jack comes into the office and is like, Karen... I gave this memo to my coworkers, and they said that there were 72 errors. And Karen's like, oh, honey, well, that's because I was typing with these. And then she types their boobs. And then Jack, like, okay, he says he's going to dictate and unbuckles his belt. And we all know what we thought was going to happen. But then he starts, like, using his belly button to talk. Yes, I was, that felt like something that, like, was a different joke in, like, the writer's room. And then they, like, got it through a couple drafts. And they were like... We can't say that on television. Standards, Standards and, and practices. practices was just like, no. 
So they're like, okay, well, what else could Jack dictate while opening his pets? Ah, of course, his belly button will talk to her. That's normal. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess he didn't ace Ventura and have talking butt cheeks. So that's true. I'm going to go with that's good. Um, Yeah, but they're, they're just ultimately having way too much fun. Yeah. And it's really, really funny because Jack is so rarely, like, willing to put in the work to do anything. So it's really funny to have him, like, kind of freak out at Karen and be like, I can't get any work done. Right. This, is a, this is, like, the nursing plot line that was going on for a long time, but much better developed. Because, like, even at its best, Jack never felt like, ah, nursing, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. Like, this feels very much like Jack is very good at this. This is his passion, and he wants to do well at it. Yeah. Versus nursing, where I feel like he was good at it, but, like, wasn't super motivated all the time yeah this one is kind of like the perfect cross-section of jack's talents and his motivations Mm -hmm. and so we see him kind of like try and jokingly sternly tell karen that they need to get back to work um but eventually he does you know say like karen you're my best friend but i can't work with you Mm -hmm. because we're having too much fun and i'm not getting any work done um so he lets karen go and tells her like you should go back to working with Grace because you two have figured out how to do friendship and office stuff together. Yeah. I mean, most of it is that Grace is able to do the job without an assistant in any capacity. Uh Uh-huh. And Karen is just kind of there to provide color commentary for the most part. And, like, Grace has no one to answer to. So it's less like they found a way to work together and more like the exact same thing happens except... Grace doesn't... There aren't any consequences when Grace doesn't get any work done. Because Grace is her own boss. And again, I really want to harken back to last week just super quickly to remind everyone that Grace implied last week that she had not been working. Yeah, I mean, like... I know that interior designers get paid a lot of money, but it really, like, puts Grace's, like, life in perspective when you think about, like, she can't actually be taking on that many clients because she's always kind of described as, like, sort of scraping by, but also then can go for not working for, like, a month and a half. Yeah. Like, I don't know, it's kind of bonkers. Yeah, and I mean, technically, in the canon of the show, the reason she didn't go to Vegas for Karen's wedding was because she hurt herself on a design job. So are we to just assume that she hurt herself on that design job but got paid so much for it that, like, the entire month... Maybe that the people that she was working for were afraid she's going to sue... The plot's all coming together. Will and Grace has finally learned how to do continuity. <laughs> but anyways, like, she... So, because of that, she was able to take, like, an entire, like, month off to deal with the Leo fallout? Maybe. Maybe. It's not completely illogical. Stay tuned. I'm sure we'll get no answers about it. Of course we won't. Um, But so then the episode kind of ends on this weird note where we get the, the tag at the end. And we see that Karen has just, like, returned to Grace's office and acting. It is. It, she's acting like nothing happened. Nothing happened, it, which is weird because like there's definitely like a real tension from last week that I thought was going to get resolved, and they just decided not to. Nope. They're just like, nope. Karen's just gonna get over it and come back to work, and like to a certain degree, that seems fair because I think while both Grace and Karen were wrong in this fight, I think Karen was more wrong than Grace. Like. Grace should have said thank you for helping. But at the end of the day, it is her company, and she should take credit for her company's work, whether or not she actually does it herself. And she should thank Karen privately, not in front of a client. Which she then did. Fair enough. So, I think I think the fact that she apologized to Karen and seemed to genuinely mean it in this episode was certainly enough that Karen, if Karen was willing to forgive her, should have come back with no further discussion. 
You see, I kind of forgot how tidily this uh, plot gets tied up. And it really makes me think that, like, the way this was conceptualized, there must have been more meat to it, but they just, like, couldn't quite... Crack it. Crack it. So they yeah. were just like, nah, never mind. Yeah. Well, and, like, I mean, on a real level, like, what does Karen not working at Grace Adler Designs really bring to the plot? I mean, she already barely works there. You boob know what I typing. mean? It brings boob typing to the plot. But what I'm saying is, like, I see why they couldn't crack it for more than two episodes, mm-hmm. because, like, Karen would just go about her business the way she always does, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, there's no narrative. I mean, unless Karen's going to go into business as a competing design firm, which is not going to happen. That's the only way I can see that plot developing and, like, getting more than two episodes traction out of it. So. So, yay! The status quo is restored. Huzzah! Everything is back to normal! Yay! Yay! Okay. Cool. Well, I think that's pretty much everything that we have for this week. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to you, us, you guys. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can look for us on our Twitter page, Not A Couple Show. That's where we're uh, live tweeting the revival every episode that's on and um, also posting this show. You can also send us a note on Facebook or on Tumblr or send us an email at notacouplepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're telling friends where to listen to us, you can send them to our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean accounts. Hooray! Okay, well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, We will catch you next week for more Will and Grace. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. This week's episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Meow. Aww, there's a tired kitty. Mm. This week's episode was sponsored by Boob Typing. How many words a minute can your boobs type? Not many. 